It was Skyler's favorite ride in all of Universal Park. Universal Studios down in Orlando has a, used to have a ride. It closed in 07, and it was the Back to the Future ride. And it's based on a, a movie, on a, really a series of movies, and, um, but Skylar loves those movies. And so we lived in Orlando at the time, and Universal decided they were going to close that ride and open up instead a Simpsons ride. And Skyler was just beside himself, and he just didn't understand it. And because I wanted to give Skyler a voice in this world, I said to him, let's write Mr. Universal. And so we, we got at the kitchen, we got at the table, and we wrote a letter, and we addressed it to Mr. Universal. And so we said, Mr. Universal, my name is Skyler Cofield, and I'm incredibly disappointed that you are closing my favorite ride, Back to the Future, and instead replacing it with a Simpsons ride. Now, so we, we put, the, put the envelope, put it in the envelope, and I said, let's go take it to Universal Studios. <laughs> so we, we drive from our house. This is probably bad parenting, I'm just saying. But we, we drive from our house. We go to the backside of where the corporate headquarters would be for the Universal Studios. We come in the door, and there's a lady standing there, kind of a receptionist, guard, whatever. And I said, we're here to see Mr. Universal. And she just looked at us like, I think I've got mentally ill people here. And, um, and we said, uh, we have a letter here. And I tried to explain so she, and, you know, let her know what we were doing. And I said, we have a letter from Mr. Universal. And the, my son, Skyler, has written, because that was your favorite ride. And, and we want Mr. Universal to get it. And she looked at me and said, well, I'll see to it that Mr. Universal gets it. And so we handed it to her. And I thought that would be the end of our, our journey with Universal Studios. About four weeks later, we get a phone call from Universal Studios, <laughs> and his name wasn't Mr. Universal, but there was a guy there that was in charge of the theme park, and he said, we'd like to invite your family to Universal Studios as, as our guest, and we would like you to go and, 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 and run the, Univer the uh, Back to the Future ride and kind of get a tour of Universal Studios. And so, I mean, to this day, in Scholar's Closet, he has the, they gave him the uniform that the people who, work, who worked on the ride had, and, and, and a guy dressed like Doc Brown came to see us, and, and we, went to the, we went to Universal Studios as, as their guest. And what was amazing is that when you go through a door that most people wouldn't notice, there's an unseen world back there that's operating the place. I mean, they have... They have people assigned to different areas of the park. They're manipulating where people go all through the park the whole time. If there's too many people in one area, they'll manipulate the crowds to go to another area by putting up different times on, on, on signs. There is this unseen world that, that most people don't even know is taking place. Most people are just going along, right, getting, waiting in line, and there is a, there's a sea of people with technology, with all sorts of stuff, running the place behind the scenes, manipulating, moving, running, organizing. It's absolutely fascinating. And we actually, Skylar actually got to run the ride. Um, and and, and you, when, you, when you sit back in the control booth of this, of this ride, it's fascinating to see what's taking place that no one knows, but that's really operating the system. But what's amazing is there's only a few places when you go through the park where you see a door between this unseen world that's, that's taking place and the seen world that everybody's enjoying. 
There's only a couple of places, and if you look really close and you know where to look, you'll see those doors. You'll see the, the windows. You'll see that you'll look up and you'll see a, a, a window that kind of goes through, or you'll see some cameras around. And, and it's amazing. Most people have no idea that there is an unseen world operating, manipulating, and controlling what everybody's going through. What's that got to do with Daniel 10? Well, quite frankly, quite a bit. And Daniel 10 is one of the few places in Scripture where God pulls back the veil. He opens a door and lets you see some of the things that are taking place in the unseen world. And it's really quite fascinating. Um, now, um, if you if you'll stick with me for just a minute, there's lots of places where you'll see this in scriptures. Like in Hebrews 3, Hebrews 13, 2, it says that you might entertain an angel without knowing. That there might be a time where God might send someone through that, from the unseen world to the seen world, that, that would operate, would be right there with you, and that you wouldn't even know it, but you're actually inter, interacting with this unseen world. Uh, Paul uh, says... Uh, as we, in, in 2 Corinthians 4, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Excuse me. <coughs> um, so he's saying that there's this unseen world that lasts forever, and then there's the seen world that we live in that's temporal. And Paul's saying, Oh, no, to understand as you live your Christian life, try to focus on, be aware of the unseen world that's taking place. And so today, we're going to read through a passage that has a lot to tell us about how we might want to deal with this unseen world. Some people call this how it may deal with spiritual warfare, but, um, but it's so much more than that. And this passage has a lot to teach us. Now, this passage also has a lot of rabbit trails you can go off on. I mean, it, and, and you could probably spend three weeks preaching on this, and, uh, or, or probably longer than that. Uh, but we're just going to look at, we're going to try to be true to the Word of God and give the emphasis where this whole chapter gives the emphasis and not go down too many rabbit trails. Does that make sense? Well, before we talk about him, before we talk about his word, before we read his word, let's talk to him. Let's pray together. Father, um, as we come before you this morning, we're just comfortably living in our seen world. We're walking and enjoying the rides, sometimes not enjoying them, walking around in the crowds. But you have brought each of us here. And you know the things that are unseen. You know the people in this room that had trouble getting their kids here this morning. You know the people that had trouble and just got bad news from doctors this week. You know people that are exhausted, scared, frightened, angry, lonely. Well, you know every one of us. Would you meet us here this day because you brought us here and change us? Change us as we look at your word together. Change us by your spirit. We can't fight battles without you. We can't see the unseen world without you. Wow. 
We have no real hope without you. So for the people in this room that are too comfortable, would you use our time together to disrupt them? For the people that are disrupted, would you use this time to comfort? And for all of us, use it to equip us to be a part of your grand, glorious plan. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to read to you one of the things I really loved the way Seth has done such a great job with Daniel. Um, he does a great job preaching, but uh, all the time. But I, he's he's gone to the trouble to just read the entire chapter to you, um, and then to try to be true to the word that that that, that was delivered. And so I'm going to try to do the same thing this morning. I, I know sometimes you don't like to stand up and sit down, and maybe sometimes you're tired and you don't want to stand up. You don't have to stand up if you don't feel like it. But try to put yourself in a, in a, in a stance of, um, of reverence as we read the Word of God. If you are capable and you want to, if you would please stand up as we read the Word of God. I'm going to read Daniel 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was about a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat, no wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Upsar around his waist. His body was like burl, and his face with the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flashing torches, his arms and legs like the gleam, gleam of, of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words were like a sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw the great vision, and with no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face on the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees, and he said to me, Oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have sent to you. And when he had spoken the word, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to you, happen to your people in the latter days, for this vision is for the days to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute, and behold, one of the likenesses of the children of man touched my lips, then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of this vision, pains 
have come upon me and have retained no strength. How can the Lord's servant talk and with my Lord, and now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me and said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong in good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Lord, let my Lord speak, for I have, you have strengthened me. And then he said, do you, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. May God bless the reading of his holy word. You can be seated. So often... I think you need to look at this entire chapter and realize that only a few verses does he pull the veil back and talk about the unseen world or the spiritual warfare world. And that's where our minds will naturally go. We'll be kind of intrigued by that. We want to know more about that. But I think you've got to look at the scripture and say, wait a minute, that's not how God wrote it. God wrote that as a fairly small part of this. Now, and that's because there's a danger. <laughs> Remember when we first got COVID and how we were just afraid of the germs the whole time? And, and we would bring home our groceries and we'd spray our groceries. And I know, realize right now, most of us act, you all act like you didn't do this, but you did. And, uh, and you'd put your groceries out and you'd spray it with Lysol. And, and, and you, if you went to work, where, you know, you'd change your clothes before you went in. And, and we were, you know, you know, dipping ourselves in Lysol. And, and we, it was, we were just... What was going on, we were so afraid of the germs that we, we, we kind of got our focus in the wrong place. Now, there are times to be focused on germs, but for the most part, if you just take care of yourself, if you just wash your hands, if you just focus on healthy, germs don't have their way. I mean, for the most part, uh, uh, you're, you're better off with the exception of surgeries and and, and people in, in special circumstances, for the most part, the way you deal with germs is not by focusing on germs, but by focusing on living life and uh, carefully and wisely and washing your hands and just being healthy. And that takes care of the germs. Well, that, that metaphor might not be a perfect metaphor, but I think that's, that's also true in the world of spiritual warfare. A lot of times people get so focused on what's the devil doing and what's the devil doing and what's he up to and is there a demon and, and do I have a demon of baldness? And, 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 um, what, and, and they get so focused on the demons and, and, God, and Satan's strategies that they lose sight of the, of the tools that God's given you to fight the evil one. Now this text doesn't do it that way. This text begins by teaching you what what Daniel was doing to kind of deal with his life. He wasn't casting out demons and he wasn't calling for demons to leave or he, he wasn't even mentioning spiritual warfare. I mean, gosh, the, Lord's, the Lord's prayer doesn't mention the devil. It just says, uh, may his kingdom come on, on earth as it is in heaven. God doesn't seem to want to give the devil near as much credit as we often do. 
So this passage that's often talked about as spiritual warfare does not begin with a conversation about the unseen world. What it begins on is, is, a, is a talk about the, uh, the weapons the weapons for the battle. And those would be mourning, fasting, focusing, and sacrificing. You just look at, those, look at the beginning. What, what do we find out? Daniel was given a vision. Now, this is in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. And if you remember, in the first year, he allowed the people to go back to Jerusalem who wanted to. But really, not a lot of people went back. Now, we don't know why Daniel didn't go back. It might be because of his age. He's very old at this point. It might be because... He was still doing, you know, he was, he was fairly high in the government, and he might still have had that to do. Whatever reason, he did not go back, but he cared very much about Jerusalem, and he cared very much about his people and their future. And this vision, as you'll find out later on, as a matter of fact, this is the last vision that Daniel has, and it encompasses chapter 10, 11, and 12. And so the vision that I'm going to be speaking about very briefly, because this is kind of the forerunning to that vision. Uh, Seth will be dealing with the, the interpretation of the vision next in chapters 11 and 12. But what you see, the focus at the beginning are, are on the weapons that Daniel has or the, or the stance that Daniel has. He is saddened, much like Jesus was saddened when he looked over Jerusalem and wept because of what was to happen to his people, what was to happen to Jerusalem. And there was, and, and evidently Daniel was given a vision that we know of has, and as a matter of fact, the angel will even mention the next king, the king of Greece. I mean, there will be, uh, Alexander the Great will take over. After Babylon, there was Persia and, and the, the Greeks and then the Romans. I mean, there's a, he is made aware of the future of his people and it's, and it's so disturbing to him. And so, what do you do when you're in crisis? Well, look what Daniel does, and that's the focus of the beginning of this chapter. What Daniel does is he, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat, or wine entered my mouth. I didn't anoint myself with, with lotion. Um, and so what, what, you're, what we're told at the beginning of this, that's going to talk about spiritual warfare in a minute, but the most important thing is not to focus on the germs the work of the demons, but to focus on the things that you can control and with, with obviously with Christ, which would be, um, are you mourning? Are you weeping for, um, because of the unfaithfulness of God's people? Are you, are you fasting? Are you praying? Are you sacrificing for the sake of God? That's the first thing that's told. So the first thing we find in this chapter that's often about spiritual warfare is not about the devil at all, but about the weapons for the battle that you're given. You're to be somebody who mourns and fasts and focuses and sacrifices and weeps, weeps for the, because of the fickle nature of humanity and the sorrow of what will take place because of man's unfaithfulness. The second thing that we see as we go through the text is not after he says, basically, here are the weapons for your battle. Then the focus shifts again to, the glory, to the, this angel that comes to see Daniel. Um, and in, that, in, in, the, in the description of that glory and the power and the wonder and, the, and his response to this angel. And so before you ever talk about 
the power of the devil or power of demons or, oh, don't ever begin that conversation until you first talk about the, the power and the glory and the holiness and the strength and the goodness of our eternal God. Because he's already won the battle. He's already won the war. All Satan can do at this point is try to thwart your story to mar the story of glory because the end of the story has already been determined. So, this next section focuses on this angel that comes to Daniel. Now, just like everything in Daniel has a billion interpretations. What was this angel? Some, some theologians believe it was Jesus incarnate. Um, I personally don't take, take that view because it says that that angel was having to fight and it took three days for it to win and Jesus would not need three days to win anything. And that's, that's just my opinion. There's, there's reasons to believe it might be Jesus because the description is similar to some of the other places where it talks about an, an image of Jesus. And, and I, I wanna, I'm gonna take a side trip here that is not endorsed by elders or PCA or anybody else. This is just Jim Cofield opinion. Don't split a church over it. But I just want to say something. I believe that God, his inspired word is written in such a way where there will be some mystery involved. Not about the big things. Because quite frankly, whether it was an angel or whether it was Jesus, won't change the emphasis of this passage. But I think the Bible is written in such a way that would make his children be curious. I think God revealed himself in a way that would make us ask questions and say, what well, I wonder, wonder what that means. I wonder what that means. Now, I don't think he, he intended for us to argue about it all the time. But I think he, God, writ, God wrote the Bible in such a way that a six-year-old can understand the principles and, a, and the smartest person you've ever met will stay up all night trying to figure it out. I mean, that's an amazing way that God... That God I, so, so I don't get upset when somebody says, well, is it about little things? Now, big things we'll fight over. But something like whether it was an angel or whether it was Jesus in pre-incarnated, Jesus in present. I, I mean, I'll, we'll, we'll, let's talk about it. Let's make that decision. But we can disagree about that. But I think God writes the scripture in such a way to make us curious and make us talk and make us, make us have to drink a cup of coffee to, to think about. So, um, so that's just a side note. I, I, I think sometimes, sometimes people think we're supposed to be very serious about the Word of God, because it is His Word. But it seems like sometimes He does allow there to be things that could create really smart people on either side taking a different stance. And I don't think that was, I think God did that on purpose, to create a sense of curiosity and awe, to create a sense of wonder about His Word. And so, I personally believe this angel is, is an angel, uh, because I don't think if it was Jesus, He would have to he would have to, it would take three days for him to defeat the, the, the demon at Persia. But um, so what you find in this amazing little passage, so, so after the focus of the weapons for the battle, morning fasting, praying, sacrificing, the next section is on the glory of God. And, the, and the, because the glory of God is, is, is revealed in this. And, and, and let's look at the way the angel treats him. Um, first of all, he trembles before the angel. I, I get nervous when somebody says, I heard from God, and their, their knees aren't trembling. I mean, they're, they're, God is, 
God is, is, is powerful and amazing. And, um, and so as he's trembling, twice this angel says to him that he is well-loved. It's an interesting word used there. It's not used very often in the Bible. It was used when in, in, the, uh, in the Ten Commandments, on the tenth, on the tenth Commandment, where it says not to covet. It really means a treasured. And so it says, this passage says, the angel says to Daniel, you're treasured. You're treasured. Do you ever wonder what your stance is before God? Sometimes when we think about the idea of predestination and the idea of being chosen, I think we miss some of the heart of God in that. We turn it into a debate about chosen or not chosen. Uh, free will or not free will. And, then, and then, of course that's going to come up in that conversation. But I think you miss the point that God chose you. That, that, so what he says to Daniel is, you're treasured. I, I chose you. And that, that's the, the question inside most humans is, do I belong? And that doctrine of predestination says, you belong, I chose you. I chose you. I want you. You are treasured. That's what the angel says to Daniel. The angel then gives him strength. The angel touches him. The, the angel um, gives him perspective. So the second thing, the first you, you notice in the text is not about spiritual warfare, but about uh, the stance of a, of a Christian as they live their life in, in times of crisis. Second, you see a reminder of who God is in the in this manifestation of the angel. And then third, you do get a sense that there's something beneath the battles that we live. You do get a sense in this next section, not a sense, you get a, an understanding that there's, there's, a great, there's a greater battle behind our struggles. Um, so what happens is the king, the king of Persia would be a demon that is in charge of Persia. Matter of fact, there's all sorts of theological directions people can go. Are there geographical demons? Are there geographical um, angels? And I'm not going to answer either of those questions today. I'm just going to say that, um, that the answer is prob could probably be. But what you need to be aware of is that there is, on the other side of the, the door... On the other side of the veil, there is a real battle taking place between good and evil. That there really is a such thing as spiritual warfare. You know, people, I'm a counselor and I'm a psychologist by trade, and it's a little embarrassing in our culture to talk about this. In my world, it's always, you know, things are nature, nurture, or choice. That's what causes problems. And that does cause most of our problems. I mean, most of my problems in life are not caused by a demon. Most of my problems in my life are caused by my sinful nature and my wrong strategies to try to meet my needs outside of Christ. That's where most of my problems come from. However, there, there is a spiritual war going on. And there, is, there are demons that are against the story of glory. There is a reason that I'm often tempted in certain ways that meet my story well. There's a reason that there's a reason you're attracted to certain things that are and are attacked in certain ways. There's a reason that sometimes it's harder to come to church than it is to go to a ball game. There's a reason that 
it's sometimes hard to listen in church other than that, that, that you could if you were listening somewhere else. There's a reason that when you start to do things right that there seems to be a wind against you because there is a spiritual war taking place. That behind the wall, behind their wall, there's, a, there's an unseen world that's trying to manipulate you and move you and, and move crowds and people. And, and, and just like at Universal, there are demons that are, that are dealing with certain countries and, and ideas and ideologies. There is an unseen world. And that that spiritual warfare impacts our life. There is a, there's a reason that the battle is sometimes so hard. And so in this story, we hear that this, this angel who is, is sent to him from God um, is, um, was, couldn't get there for three days because he was in a battle. Now, now listen to this. Let me reread this. Just, just listen to this. This is fascinating. Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. I'm going to read that again. Sometimes I don't pray. Sometimes I don't pray because I wonder if it makes any difference. This passage would tell you it makes significant difference. Listen to what he says to Daniel. Fear not, Daniel. Parenthetically, fear not, Christ's covenant church. Fear not each of you. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard. Think about that. The God of the universe hears you. Your words have been heard, and I've come because of your words. The angel came because of those words. Now, here's the passage that gets everybody all squirrely. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and then I could leave the king of Persia. So what he's saying is, I was trying to come, but I was... Or I was attacked, or I was battling with the, the demon in charge of Persia, and Michael had to actually come and help me, and now I'm here. Well, that's an interesting, I mean, isn't that a veil open? Isn't that interesting? Um, so, um, and by the way, the 20, this would be the 24th of April would be when this took place based on the beginning of this passage. Just thought I'd tell you that. Um, uh, you know, I, anyway. <laughs> so back to the, back to the text. Um, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me, and I was there with the king of Persia. And, and what, what I want to try to say is that the events of this world cannot be interpreted by history alone. History is spiritual, Washington, London, Berlin, Tokyo, Beijing, Moscow are not the center of the ultimate power struggles of history. Um, Abraham Piper, the Dutch theologian, said this a century ago, if once this curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came into view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, a struggle 
so convulsive, so sweeping that everything was in its range that the fiercest battle ever fought on earth would seem in comparison a mere game. It's not down here, but up there where the real conflict is being waged and our earthly struggles grow in the black backlash of a greater spiritual battle. Satan, Satan's forces oppose the church and continue to use powers and institutions of the world in their struggle against God's people and God's purposes. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians? For you, for we do not struggle or wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil and heavenly places. Now, it's very important that you have the right perspective on this. I love C.S. Lewis's quote. It's taken from the, from the introduction to screw tape letters. And what he says is that there's two dangerous ways in which people have a, have a view. There are two equal and opposite errors which people can fall into about the devil. One is a disbelief in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. See, Satan loves it if you discount him as it doesn't exist. It's just silliness. It's just mythology. Or he loves it if you become a little too interested in him. But most of us have had examples in our lives where we have felt that, that break. We've, we've somehow seen between the two places. Remember, we had a, a girl come to our house for a few months who had, whose, whose mother was Wiccan. And she would visit our house and she was... Uh, she had been exposed to all sorts of satanic things. And we brought her to church. And every time she came to church, she'd get sick. Every single time. She would, as soon as the church started worshiping Christ, she physically got sick and had to leave the sanctuary. And, and I remember sitting down with her and saying, you know why that happens. You know why you sometimes get sick when I come in the room. <laughs> it's not always spiritual. Sometimes it's just me. Um, it's because there's a part of you, there's an enemy to you seeing Jesus for who he is. And, you've, and, and the fact that your heart is being turned toward Christ, um, there's a reason that there's something that seems against that. I remember when I landed in Istanbul once and I, and I, and I got off the plane, I just, I just felt a heaviness. And I'm not a mystical sort of guy, but it just felt heavy. I knew there was something there that was spiritually negative. Now, so as you look at this passage, first note that God gives you the tools for the warfare because with Daniel, morning, fasting, focusing. Second, he focuses on the glory of God first, not on the power of the evil one. Third, remember that there is a, a battle, uh, a reason for... Um, our struggles, that there, there are, there's a greater battle behind our struggles than what you might see. Always remember that the devil is not omniscient and his demons aren't as powerful. A lot of people would have you believe that the right thing to know about spiritual warfare is to learn the right words to say, as if, you know, as if it's some sort of little formula that you follow. No, the right way to deal with spiritual warfare is, is the way Daniel does, is, is begin. Daniel doesn't directly talk to the, about the spirits, but Daniel is, he's focusing on God. He's, he's seeing God's purposes. 
He's fasting, he's praying, he's humbling himself, and he wants to know God and his purposes. And that's our greatest battle. That's our greatest way to battle against the evil one. There is an enemy to your story. It would be important for you never to forget that behind the, the curtain, there is a, an evil one that thwarts your story. Now, very quickly, what's the practical application for this? I'm just going to go two more minutes, but this might be the most important two minutes of our session. So please stay with me. So the, what's the so what? We can go out and debate whether or not you've had this happen or this happen. But if there's an area of your life right now that you've felt stuck in, that you feel like I can't get off, there's something that is, seems, to be, seems to be sticky. Remember when the disciples came back and said, Jesus, we can't take, get rid of the demon. And Jesus says, this, type of, this kind of demon takes prayer and fasting. So I just want you to think for just a minute, is there an area of your life that could be a stronghold, an area of your life that you seem to be struggling with? Is, it, is there an anxiety or a depression or, a, or, or an anger or a, a loneliness or an addiction, something that has just been very difficult for you to, to move past? Maybe. Maybe that's because there's, a, there's some, a force against that. And so I'm going to ask you to think for just a second. Just take a second. Lord, speak to us. Is there an area in your life that feels stuck? An attitude? If there is, if God gave you something just then, I would encourage you to say, I'll take a Daniel approach to that. That that may have spiritual warfare involved, and I'm going to mourn, I'm going to grieve, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to fast. Because by the authority of this word, God heard him from the very beginning. And because of that, the angel eventually came. And I'd like you to consider giving that to the Lord in this time. So the, the, the worship team's going to come and, and finish our time with a, with a song. But while that song's going on, I'd like you to be very thoughtful about this unseen world very thoughtful about the battle that you're in and very thoughtful about that specific thing God gave you to ask him um, to give you prayer, fasting, sacrifice, grieving over that sin and struggle in your life and, and ask God to, to send an angel to fight on your behalf, on his behalf for his glory.